Mental health. For young men in Ireland, it's been the issue that dare not speak its name. The shame, the questions of your masculinity, the dismissals of... Ah, sure, get over yourself, like, there's bigger problems in the world. Or feelings of... Ah, I wouldn't want to be a burden on anyone, like... It's been the unspeakable reality, silently taking more lives of young Irish men than anything else. But what's behind the epidemic of mental health problems and suicide in young Irish men? And what can be done to change it? In this DCOFM news documentary, we'll look at the evidence, speak to those who've suffered. I lost the run of myself, and I went, I suppose, from playing, playing in that all in file in Crow Park in front of whatever there was, 40,000 people that day, to contemplating suicide within six months. Hear why it's such an issue for men in particular, and what needs to be changed. We could definitely do with a, a lot more investment in health overall, but especially in mental health, and especially more of the... Um, innovative stuff that's going on and especially more of the joined up thinking between all the different services and making those pathways easier for people to navigate. Those are just some of the voices we'll be hearing from to talk about what's still a taboo subject for many. Four hundred and fifty one. That's the number of people who died by suicide in Ireland in 2015. The figures from the National Suicide Research Foundation show that 375 of them were men and 76 were women, making men almost five times more likely to take their own lives. Ireland has the fourth highest rate of suicide among teenagers in the EU. It's not just Ireland either. Of the nearly 6,000 deaths by suicide in the UK in 2012, more than three quarters were males. In the US, 79% were men in 2010. So why are men more likely to take their own lives? Dr Anne Cleary is a lecturer in the School of Sociology at UCD and has done extensive research in the area of male suicide. She says it's an issue for particular groups of men. The people who are more likely to complete suicide are people who are outside universities, who are the people who tend to be lower socioeconomic group men and people who are in much more marginalised, vulnerable situations. University actually is a really protective environment for men. Now, of course, people who are in universities or have gone to university complete suicide, but they're far less likely to do it than men who are at the other end of the social scale. Feeling you're there, you're getting on or you're going towards that kind of success, I think that's a, that's a crucial feature in feeling good about yourself and having, let's say, absolute evidence that you're going somewhere. I think if you're marginalised, I think as a man, it can be in some environments, and this is certainly what I found in my research, that in certain environments where being a breadwinner, being economically viable, is really important to being a man, to manhood in that particular kind of social status, then I think that it can be very difficult if you don't have access to jobs, if you're unemployed, if you don't have access to being able to set up a home, um, you know, with a partner and possibly having children, if that's your orientation. The suicide rate increased across all regions last year, apart from Leinster. The new provincial data shows the number of suicides per 100,000 of the population in cities. In Limerick, it was 30 per 100,000 for men, just 3.5 for women. Galway, 23 for men, just under 3 for women. Carlow, Roscommon, Cavan and Clare have some of the highest rates in the country. So why is suicide such an issue in rural areas? I think in the, in the city... There's a lot more space for men. We're talking about emotional space to, to be the kind of person they might want to be. Now, again, it varies 
in terms of social class and that. But I think in rural environments, this is what came up from the research, that there's more surveillance people know each other now that's a very positive thing and they you know potentially support each other but if you have challenges and somehow you're ashamed of those challenges well then i think that can be very difficult in an area where you know in in a rural area where there would be more surveillance of behavior less so than you would have in the city the uh, suicide is higher in rural areas than it is in, in urban areas and i think that is related to people coming to the city they need more space to be the person they are. So in a, in a sense, the city is freer emo- for emotional issues, whereas the, the countryside may be less so. Alan O'Mara knows about it only too well. He's someone who seemed to be going places in college and holding down a place as a goalkeeper with the Cavan Gaelic football team. But behind that lurked a secret. In 2013, he became the first active senior inter-county player to go public about experiencing depression. In his book, entitled The Best Is Yet To Come, he describes his struggle with depression and how he considered suicide on numerous occasions. He turned to alcohol, struggling with depression in the fourth year of his college degree. He describes how things got to a low point. The day it happened, I'd played a college, I'd played a college match with DIT and I'd played, there was a moment in the second half where I had tears in my eyes and I was standing there playing this game thinking I don't want to be here, I don't like football anymore, wasn't sure what was going on. And I was driving home from that match, driving on the motorway to Cavan. And I suppose, as I mentioned already, it was, there was a number of months previously where I'd just been doing all the wrong things. And I was just trying to make sense of all that. And I was trying to understand where it was going on. And I said that urge came to do, to, to do that. And the thing that saved me, and it's the thing I always say, is um, within two seconds of visualising me crashing my car into the wall, I saw my mum and my dad. Uh, my mum was in our local, the pair of them were in our local church in Baylor in Cavan. My mum's head was on my dad's shoulder and she was bawling crying. And two yards beside him was my coffin. And that's the day where, or that's the moment where I said the penny dropped and I went, whoa, something's not right here. And I always say to people that, you know, I wasn't asleep there or having a dream or, or, or nightmare more appropriately. I was wide awake consciously. And that's the thing with the depression and the thing with when it takes over like that. Logic and rationale go out the window. And I, but I was just very fortunate. And I always feel, I, I always get goosebumps whenever I, I recall that moment or, or take it back. But I'm always just very humble and grateful that I got that I got that moment and it just snapped me out of it and said to tell you the truth it made me just it just sapped me out and I put my head out the window and I drove home to the rest of the cabin just saying just get myself home just get myself home and if anyone had been driving down the other side of the road I'd say I look like Scooby-Doo with my head hanging out the window like but it was just something that I needed to do I just needed to feel something I just said I just kept saying get home get home and I did and from there from that day and within a couple of hours of getting home my journey of recovery or hope or whatever you want to call it started he also describes the toll his depression took on his football career. By the middle of 2014, my depression was as worse, was as bad as it ever was. It had come back. And it was at that stage I decided just to step away. I just said, no, no more cap, no more Calvin, I suppose. Um, it was something that's taken me a long time to get my head around and figure out. And I suppose to sum it up, it would be that so much of my identity and who I was as a person was ingrained in Aldemar, the footballer. And... Believe it or not, there's actually quite a lot more to me and I had to learn that and I had to understand that and go away and I just felt it was very hard to do that while you had to train four nights a week or five days a week and be there and I needed to spend some time with me and get to know, reconnect with myself, I suppose. And I left the panel in 2014 on the, on, just before the championship and one of the chapters in the book is called The Call 
and that's that was calling the manager to say, listen, I can't I can't go on anymore like this. I can't play. And I told him exactly the reason why. I said, I just have to come out of a counselling room. I'm making this decision for me. There was no lying. I just told the truth, and it was so liberating and so empowering. And of course, it was the few weeks where I was like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? What am I going to do with all this spare time? But things start coming together. The Turn the Tide of Suicide charity say an average of 131 people aged between 18 and 30 take their own life every year. Most of them are taught to be students and young men. National Suicide Research Foundation figures also show that the self-harm rate among men and boys was 186 per 100,000 last year. That's an increase of 15% in a decade. The peak rate among males was in 20 to 24 year olds and those figures are only based on people presenting at hospitals. Charities such as Pieta House warned the true figures could be much worse. But in wider society, why do young men find it so difficult to talk about their mental health? In a DCFM survey, 68% of males who responded admitted to suffering from a form of mental health problem, with 70% of those suffering from depression. In terms of getting help, 70% had looked for help, with the most common sources being from counselling and friends and family. The other 30% did not seek help. When asked whether they would talk openly about their mental health, 82% of males said they would not. The figure was 62% for females. Reasons varied from not wanting to burden others. Some feel ashamed. Others feel the stigma against men's mental health makes them seem weak for talking. Shane Carthy knows that feeling. From when I kind of first started going through my, my issues, I definitely would have said um, there would have been no conversation around the area of mental health or... You know, if anyone mentioned anything about depression or feeling bad or, or anything like that, it would have kind of been like, especially from a, a male sense point of view, would have been kind of, you know, I get on with you're fine, you know, you're probably just having a difficult day or a difficult week, that kind of thing. He's 22, a final year student in DCU and is also on the Dublin GAA squad. He describes the impact expectations of masculinity can have. I think it goes back to the point where men need to be you know this kind of masculine figure of they show no uh they show no weakness they they don't express their feelings compared to to women you know it on a global sense you know it's um both men and women obviously do need to speak up about their mental health it's very much men show no weakness they they don't talk about their mental health you're perceived as um not being a a masculine kind of man around you know a masculine world you know that kind of way Dr. Anne Cleary explains how it's more complex than the stereotype that women talk about their feelings more. It's far more complicated than that. And that's the research that I actually uh, focused on over some time, like where I was looking at um, men who had made serious attempts. And firstly, there is a whole lot of myths, as you say. There, there's a myth that men complete suicide because of, uh, for economic reasons. Now, of course, economic reasons, jobs, etc., are very important. But the myth was that men didn't, that it was women that completed suicide for emotional or relationship reasons. And that is an utter myth. In my own study and in many other studies that have been completed now, um, you see that the you know, emotional relationship issues are absolutely up there at the top why men complete suicide. Now, it's not the only one because, as I said, you must remember there are there's socioeconomic groups and there's every, every individual is different, but there's a very, very definite pattern. Relationship issues, emotional issues, and that can be sexuality issues as well, that they're really important in, in why men attempt or complete suicide. So are things starting to change? Initiatives here in DCU, in universities across the country, by charities, they're all helping to break down the stigma and promote open discussion of mental health. ReachOut.com is one of those groups.
So Reach Out is an online service um, to help young people through tough times and it really comes from this model of kind of increasing mental health literacy so helping people understand kind of what they're going through and then giving them lots of different options of different ways they can either help themselves through or um, to access help in near where they are as well. That's their spokesperson, Roisin Doolan. She has some ideas on what more needs to be done. I think there's a, a lot, a lot of great work going on out there. Um, I think like all other departments um, that are funded by uh, government, mm. that everything is underfunded. You could definitely do with a, a lot more investment in health overall, but especially in mental health and especially more of the innovative stuff that's going on and especially more of the um, kind of joined up thinking between all the different services and making those pathways easier for people to navigate because I think it's so difficult for someone to reach out to help to go and make see that GP that initial time or to talk to guidance counsellor that it's real really tough to get over that door in the face when there's a massive waiting list or when oh this isn't the right service for you you have to go across the street and go to that other service so kind of joining up all those dots you know, getting things like education on board and, you know, sports clubs on board and all of the different departments because I think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of um, prevention and early intervention as well as investing in those crisis services. So what's the government doing? Spending on mental health is expected to be nearly 25 million higher this year than last. 50 million has also been budgeted for work on the National Forensic Mental Health Hospital in Dublin. But news came just a few weeks ago that the Mental Health Commission wants to reduce the number of acute mental health beds at University Hospital Waterford from 14 to 6. The unit currently serves nearly 300,000 people in Waterford and Wexford. The positive news though is that young people are beginning to talk. The number of students registering with mental health issues at DIT has increased by 700% in the last four years. A similar surge in demand has been seen at DCU's counselling service, a sign that people want to talk. Shane Carthy has this advice for anyone suffering. I'd even start from the smallest thing of, uh, you, you know, you, you don't have to come out and, and say say to the world that you're you're struggling or whatever. But for me, um, you know, it's it's a thing of talking to your closest friend, your your sister, your brother, someone in your family. You know, you don't you don't have to tell them everything. You just you know speak out and. You know, that should be enough for them to then give you a lend at hand and hopefully taking that first step. But um, nothing can be done if you don't take that step. And I know it's a hugely difficult step. I know from my own experience, it's, you know, it was a couple of years manifested. But uh, from my experience, if I had it speak, spoken out earlier, it would have been hugely beneficial. And um, that would be my huge advice towards that. Alan O'Mara echoes those sentiments and describes the first time he told someone. The fellow that I picked out, called him out to the kitchen said can I talk to you for a couple of minutes and he said yeah grand no problem and I just spat it straight out it was like I was so anxious my body was shaking I was like how do I say this how does how does this happen what's this conversation sound like and I just said oh I've been going to counselling the last while and he took a step back and I'll never forget like, he looked me up and down and I'm there thinking like this fella's gone at the door like we're not going to be mates anymore I'm going to have to put an ad up online to get a new housemate in because he's gone he want, he's not going to want to know me and he looked me up and down again he goes oh counselling and I said, yeah. And he went, I went to that there last year. And it's something that always sticks with me because, like, I don't even need to say it, but like, just take for a second how helpful and supportive we could have been to each other as friends. I said, and we, we still are to this day the best of friends. And then I just sort of started laughing, like, because I was just like, what a pair of dopes. 
Um, and we just sort of promised there and then that day that that would never be the case again. We both lived together. We're tipping around, creeping around, jumping out like doors and windows, trying to sneak away from each other to do what we needed to do. When if we just had a, had a proper conversation about it, we could have really helped each other. Yeah. And it's something that always sticks with me. And it's a story that I always try and get across to people in that. If you have a friend struggling or a family member, of course they're going to need professional help and support service at different times. But but you can be that person as well that actually can help, can help them feel a little bit better, can be can point them in the right direction, and you don't have to be an expert with all this stuff to have that conversation, to ask that question, and to follow up. The stigma around mental health among young men in particular is still around suicide figures are still too high and for many men it's a reality which is unspeakable. But the normalisation of talking openly about mental health can only be a positive. It may not be easy but talking to someone could be the most difficult yet rewarding step.